Unsettled in Truth. My name is Janelle, and I'm passionate about God and His Word. Each week, we're going to explore relevant truths from the Bible and talk about how they apply to our everyday lives. We'll memorize scripture, enjoy poems, prayers, and songs, and take practical steps that bring us closer to Jesus, the author of truth. If you're ready for life transformation, then this is the place for you. Janelle here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Nestled in Truth. Today we're talking about something that's foundational to the Christian life, grace. So before we get into the nitty gritty of things, I thought we should start out by defining grace. I think most people probably have a pretty good idea of what grace is, but I don't want to just assume that. So Dictionary.com has several definitions depending on the usage of the word, but a couple of the generic definitions are favor or goodwill, a manifestation of favor, especially by a superior, and mercy, clemency, and pardon. So we understand grace even in a non-religious kind of way when we think about things like a grace period when it comes to paying bills or from something like a presidential pardon. But when we're talking about grace from a standpoint of Christian belief, how would we define that? Dictionary.com defines it this way, the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. I've also heard it described by different Christian leaders as God giving us what we need rather than what we deserve. Grace is a very important element for Christian belief because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The opportunity and ability to come to faith in God is a gift from Him, an expression of His grace. Without His grace, our redemption would never be possible, which means that all believers are marked by grace. Something I've known for a long time, but it didn't carry the same weight as it does at this stage in my life, is the meaning of my name. It's not so much this way now, but it used to be that people would name their children with a name that had a particular significant and relevant meaning. People in Bible times especially did this, which I find interesting, and there are even several times throughout scripture where God changed a person's name because the new name he assigned to them had special significance and meaning, which is just so cool to me. So I've known probably since I was a teen, my name, Janelle, is a variation on the name Jane, and it means God is gracious. And now, as I've grown and matured in my faith and I look back over the course of my life, I can see so well how the meaning of my name has such special significance to my life journey. My name, God is Gracious, is the very story that is being written about my life from start to finish. I can see the fingerprints of God's grace on so many parts of my life. So this concept of being marked by grace feels deeply personal to me because when I look at my life, that's exactly what I see. I see a life that's marked completely by God's grace. In my darkest moments of sin, doubt, grief, discouragement, and weariness, those moments when I'd lost my hope 
or when my faith was barely hanging on by a thread, or I turned my back on God or felt like giving up on him, God met me in those moments. He has relentlessly pursued my heart over and over again. No matter how many times I've fallen flat on my face or doubted his goodness or struggled to trust him, he keeps showing me that he hasn't left, that he cares about my pain, that there's purpose in everything he's doing and I'm treasured by him. And I've learned and experienced firsthand that no one can or ever will love me more perfectly than Jesus. It's as if God simply will not allow me to miss his very best for me. He simply will not allow me to turn away, but he keeps holding me up and drawing me in. Every day I breathe in God's grace. That's what I mean when I say my life is marked by grace. And here's the really great news, friend. It's not just my life that's marked by grace. Your name may not literally mean God is gracious, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life is marked by his grace. And even if you're not a believer yet, your life is still marked by God's grace in some measure. And that's one of the main things I want to talk about today, the all-encompassing nature of God's grace. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're probably familiar with the hymn Amazing Grace. It's pretty well known, even in secular circles. But what is it about God's grace that makes it so amazing? I mean, obviously, the very definition of what grace is makes it amazing because it's totally undeserved, but freely given. But in addition to this, it's also the all-encompassing nature of God's grace that makes it so amazing, because there is nothing that cannot be covered by the grace of God. Nothing. And this is where we can begin to recognize the different forms of God's grace and how important each one is. So I want to take some time to look at three different forms of God's grace that we can recognize and how significant they are to our lives and why. The first one is often referred to as common grace. And what this is referring to is a general grace of God that rests on all people, whether they believe in Jesus or not. So with this, the idea is that even unbelievers live under some measure of God's grace while they reside on this planet because God is patient, longing that all people would come to repentance. That's what 2 Peter 3.9 says. And because there are those who are righteous, believers who are living amongst them, God doesn't unleash his full measure of wrath and judgment, but allows even the wicked to live under small measures of his grace in hopes that they will turn to him and be saved. And so you could think of it in this way. All of us, before we chose to put our faith in Jesus, we're living under God's common grace. It was his common grace that protected us from immediate judgment for our sins and preserved us and drew us to faith in Jesus. So it's only because of God's common grace that we ever had the opportunity to come to faith in Jesus. I wanted to share with you some great verses that speak to this concept of common grace so you can see for yourself that I'm not just pulling this out of thin air, but I'm basing it on the word of God as best as I know how. And I'm going to be a pain in the butt and make you look them up yourself <laughs> because I think it's important for you to dig into God's word on your own and familiar familiarize yourself with it. 
So here they are. If you miss any of them, you can go back and re-listen to jot them down, or you can just look at the show notes and I'll have all of the scriptures I reference listed there. Psalm 145, 9, Matthew 545b, 2 Peter 3, 9, and Romans 2, 4. All right, the second form of God's grace that we can consider is his saving grace. Now, this is the grace that provides our salvation. It's through God's saving grace, through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, spilt on the cross on our behalf, that our sins, past, present, and future, are covered, and we can receive forgiveness and redemption. So saving grace is all about the work that Jesus did on the cross. When we open our eyes to his sacrifice, accept that he is the sinless son of God who died as a ransom for our sins and rose again, conquering death, and that through our faith in him, we can be saved from the penalty of our sins. That's where we experience God's saving grace. The hard truth is that none of us can come to a saving knowledge of Christ without God's grace. His grace draws us to himself. We would never come to Christ on our own, in our own efforts. It would never happen without God's Spirit drawing us. And there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's no righteous deed of ours that can somehow erase the wicked things we've said and done. Only God's grace can save us through our faith in Jesus. And I found some great verses that support this concept of saving grace that I'd like to share with you. Once again, feel free to jot these down and look them up in your own time. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, John 6, 44, Romans 3, 23 through 24, and Titus 3, 5 through 7. The third form of God's grace that we can recognize is his sustaining grace. Sustaining grace comes after we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it's one of the most amazing pieces of God's grace to me because it's that grace that holds us, keeps us, and covers us between when we accept Christ to when we are brought home to be with him. It's that grace that keeps us going when we feel like giving up. It's that grace that covers over those moments when we fail, when we make a mistake, when we fall short. It's that grace that strengthens us and equips us to do the things God has called us to do and be who he's called us to be. It's that grace that allows us to walk in submission to God's Holy Spirit and not walk in the desires of our flesh. Sustaining grace is the grace that keeps drawing us closer and closer to God, even when we don't understand what he's doing, or he feels silent or distant. It's the grace that allows us to love God and other people the way he's asked us to. This is the grace that holds us and carries us into everlasting life when our life here on earth is over. So it's really important. And I've found, once again, some great verses that speak to this. So feel free to jot them down. Hebrews 4, 16. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Acts 20, 32. So because we know 
the all-encompassing nature of God's grace, his common grace, saving grace, and sustaining grace. We have a responsibility to live graciously toward others, right? God does not offer us grace and mercy so that we can turn around and be ungracious and unmerciful toward others, because how we treat others determines whether or not we are honoring or dishonoring God. And it's because of God being so gracious to me that I am able to extend grace to others. He has shown me how through the example that he gave in the life of Jesus Christ. And that's the second important part of today's talk. We as Christians are called to live lives that are marked by mercy and grace because God has so freely extended his unmerited love and mercy toward us. We are to imitate that same mindset toward the people we encounter day to day. There is a great parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18 that really illustrates this concept so well. Jesus told this parable because of a conversation he had with Peter, in which Peter approached him with a question about how often he ought to forgive someone who had wronged him. So I want to take a moment to read it to you. If you want to look it up and read along with me, that'd be awesome. Matthew chapter 18, when we're starting at verse 21. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also, my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Because we have been freely offered the undeserved kindness, mercy, and grace of God, we are called to be people who extend undeserved kindness, mercy, and grace to others. Part of how people will know the love of God is through Christians who are quick to forgive, 
quick to extend grace and mercy, quick to love. It can be so easy for us to fall into the dangerous waters of harshness and mercilessness when we are so quick to see the faults of others without remembering our own and remembering from what God's grace has saved us. But if we return our gaze often enough to the grace that God has extended to us, this will help us to keep the proper perspective in how we view others and how we treat others. We are just as much in need of God's grace as any other person who walks this earth. We are just as guilty of sinning against God, and we have received God's mercy and grace undeserved. When we can remember that, it will help us to be gracious to the people around us. Now, I'm not saying that we simply turn a blind eye to sin or that we condone or advocate for sinful behaviors. I'm not saying we pretend that no wrongdoing was done. But God's word tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that we will be judged with the same measure that we judge others. So we need to be careful about how harsh we are with others because God will use that same harshness with us and our sins when we do that. Here's the thing. When we are gracious to those around us, God is honored. He is exalted and lifted up when we put aside our pride and what we feel we deserve to extend unmerited grace to others. That glorifies God, and that's what His grace is all about. His grace extended to sinners like us brings Him great glory that only He deserves, and His children imitating Him by extending undeserved grace to others brings him glory. The memory verse this week is actually two verses. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, which says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. So once again, that's Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Take this thought with you this week. Remember the grace that God has shown toward you and let that reminder prompt you to show grace to others. My challenge to you this week when it comes to practically applying this um, to your life is to write out a prayer to God, acknowledging the grace he's shown you and thanking him for it. And if there are any people in your life that you have had a hard time extending grace toward, ask the Holy Spirit for his help in changing your perspective, helping you to see them differently, and for the power to extend grace to them when you have the opportunity. Then maybe tuck that prayer away in your Bible or a journal or something so that one day down the road, when you've forgotten all about this, you can come across it again and be reminded again of God's grace and the call he's placed on your life to be gracious toward others. Thank you for spending time with me today, friend. I'm so glad you were here and I hope that this has been helpful to you and maybe has challenged you to really consider the amazingness of God's grace because we never want to forget how incredible it truly is that the God of the universe would love us enough to show us mercy and shower us with his love and favor that is so undeserved. 
I hope you'll be back for next week's episode, which I've entitled, In My Weakness, God is Strong. It's going to be an encouraging word, and I hope you'll listen in. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.